Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hey, guys, it's going to happen. August 16th through the 19th, HITS is coming back. The HITS Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, August 16th through the 19th. Get on there. It's the biggest, the best. Check it out. Hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net. Get registered now. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at Kinetic Dog Food. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from... Mild to wild, they'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. We are back, everybody, Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, as usual, from Canton, Ohio, my name is Eric Stanbro. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what is going on over there? Uh, worky, worky uh training pet dogs and police dogs i feel like i say the same thing every every episode uh but we are uh super knee deep in pets and police dogs i just ordered another i don't know a couple three police dogs um we've got two three single purpose going on a couple dual purpose going hired another you ordered them on amazon like yeah just, they ship in <laughs> we, like two days <laughs> yeah <laughs> not with fucking covid um yeah no not quite, but uh, yeah, so it's been busy. Hired another intern, um, got back from the last HRD of the year in South Carolina. It was awesome. Uh, we had some good teams, good location, uh, really good teams. I was pretty surprised. The next one's not till the end, very, very end of January in South San Francisco. So uh, we're looking forward to that one. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one too. It'll be our first one out on the West coast. Um, yeah. So other than that, getting ready for um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, we're doing a deal where we're going to do like a week long, like not train, but we're going to board dogs for people and do what I'm just calling brush up, which a lot of people want to board their dogs. They're either traveling or they have a lot of people in town and their dogs are dickheads. So I end up, so rather than just being like, yeah, this babysit the dog and we're going to do something, I'm going to give the intern something to do. So uh, that, and we've still got a lot of the police dog stuff going on. We've got a couple of decoy schools. Uh, they're going to be happening January, February, um, that are already full, um, through the state here. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, we are rocking and rolling. What about you? Well, um, yesterday in Ohio, here in Canton, Ohio, it was 40 today. It was 71. So I'm rocking the, I'm rocking the sleeveless. Yeah. I got, you know, and then tomorrow it's going to be 49. So, um, I can yeah. hear the wind going outside, which means the temperature's dropping. Um, but today was a beautiful day. And you know what? I spent the entire day. Well, I got, I hit the facility at seven in the morning, bang out a bunch of reps on police dogs. And then I went to my Wednesday tattoo appointment. Um, 
for those who don't know, I'm working on a full suit of tat, a full, no neck, no head and face, of course, and nothing else but this one on my hand and nothing on my feet. Um, so my whole today, they finished my entire front of my torso, except a little bit right here. So if you're on, you got to go to YouTube to see it. This side's up into my armpit on my left side. That was awesome. Um, he's going to, he's going to fill in this little spot here. That's going to suck a whole bunch of dick right there. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then I, I have a huge piece on my back and he's got to fill in some space and come over to the top of my shoulders a little bit with it. So it's three hours at a time. Every single Wednesday I go, um, he it's, God. it's brutal. It's that just straight suck. up masochistic horse shit, but um, it's my daughter came down to visit from her, her college is about 30 minutes away. She came to visit and walked in. I see her go, because I was laying on the thing because the other day I just had the left rib piece done the right, uh, the right rib piece done. And he filled in all of this today. So um, that's what I got going on besides the dogs. So I got some, you know, I took all of October off for police dogs loaded back up uh, this month. And I sold one to a department the other day. Um, I'm going to do green plus on the dog, which is a dog imprinted on odor started on everything else introduced to uh, e-collar and, and all that. So it's a really, I, we've talked about it before. It's a really good deal that I give to departments and it, it's a way for me to sell dogs that I have in the kennel that are not green and not finished, you know? Yeah, so it doesn't take them that long to finish it either. No, it too, it's so. designed yeah. for somebody that has a trainer that yeah. can wants to bang out, you know, and finish get maybe even an experienced handler and start the class together. And in six weeks you can be completely finished. So, yeah. um, I, so I'm working on him and I got some other ones that are getting tested on Monday. So I'm doing a bunch of OB and stuff on them just to make them, you know, a little bit more marketable, I guess. So I'm doing something with them that we do with the pet dog. So at my pet side of the business, I have um, 12 trainers. And uh, at my facility, I have a bunch of people that work in the doggy daycare. And I have uh, three, three or four, four trainers that work in the building. They do day training dogs, which as people know, is drop off, pick up every day. And then we do board and trains that stay at the facility, we have a night shift and everything. And then all the rest of the trainers do board and trains. So those dogs that are at the facility, we do so many reps the first three days. First two days are all teaching them every single command, hundreds and hundreds of reps a day. And then the next day is the same thing. We add a little bit. And then third day starts e-collar. By the end of the third day, a regular dog's ready to go home. So I'm like, I'll try that with these guys. So Jordan, who works with me on the police dog side, we started on Monday with three dogs from Europe that know nothing, zero commands at all. Two of them are from Poland. I don't even know what the how you do those commands. <laughs> yeah. And one of them's from Mexico. I said Vamanos. I think he knew that. He turned. He looked at me. Uh, but we, but we changed. I changed it all. So the two mouths I'm doing. Dutch commands and the uh, German shepherd. I'm doing German commands. And so they know nothing. And we did 300 reps of OB commands Monday, another 300 on Tuesday. This morning I was up there at 7 a.m. So I could layer the e-collar over everything. Those dogs are flying to command. Um, I put a bunch of it on my social media. You can go watch it on Van S. Kane on Instagram. And uh, it, there's a, 
is a lot. Dogs flying on a place without, because I, without an ECO or without a leash on, I teach a place command with police dogs. I didn't use to, but I do now because I use it as a basis to start the downstay. Everybody's got to do a, some form of downstay in their certification. So I teach them on the place cot and then they'll learn to stay there for a long time. Then on maybe cardboard or something on the floor and then nothing. And it, like, it, it takes like a week. It's not, it's not long, but um, so that's what I'm doing. I'll be up there again, seven in the morning tomorrow and cranking out reps. I, I told Jordan, I said, the one shepherd I have, he's, he's pretty bad motherfucker. Um, we got to start doing more fun things because these three days of obedience, he's getting kind of mopey. <laughs> I saw him fighting the down earlier. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. But he's like, this if, is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you step back, he'll offer it. But if you, if you are engaged with him, having him do it, you have to physically force him to do it. It's dog. So anyways, what do we got going on today? buddy? So tonight uh, we have on a, uh, a handler from um, a group of guys that we are friends with guys that have been on the podcast before, um tonight we have on uh josh hargis from third range battalion um josh how are you good thanks for having me tonight yeah man um super um good you know you like i was just telling you before we started talking uh one of our other guests is one of your friends uh trent who's one of my friends and we've had trent on before and i've known trent for years but and i just and i just mentioned i was in south carolina um and one of the other battalion kids was there um Gavin Dwyer was down there with me, uh, decoying for us. So, um, yeah, it's, Gavin's you know, it's, got quite the beard, by the way. He does. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's it's he, impressive. He, he looks fucking weird with a beard. Gavin, I'm sorry, I love you, <laughs> but he looks weird with a beard. I stood there I, for two days. I stared at him, and I'm like, what the fuck? So it, it changes uh, the way he looks for sure. Yeah, we were telling the story about he came to HRD version point zero in Florida. And he was down there. He was like, well, he's teaching some of the cops how to clear a room. He's like, well, right now, uh, we just fucking throw a frag. I'm like, no, we're not. No, you're not doing that. We're not throwing grenades. These are police officers. And he was like, well, what are you supposed to do? And I'm like, he's okay. like I'll be at the bar. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Josh, give us a little bit of your background and uh, getting into the Army. And then we'll start talking about some of the Dogo stuff. Uh, yeah, so my journey actually started, uh, I was 17. I tried to sign up in high school, uh, broke my femur messing around skiing. So that, uh, kind of put things on the back burner. Um, about a year later, um, uh, tried to get in and I actually got denied about five times before I was actually allowed entry into the military. Uh, the recruiter, um, I wanted to do something really fucking cool. So I uh, started off actually with the Air Force, tried to get with the PJs, but the Air Force guys, turns out they're really lazy. Um, went, uh, went to the other recruiter station where they're all like in the same building, went to the Navy to talk about the SEALs and they're like, nope, you're too young. Went over to the Army and they're like, well, what do you want to do? Like, I want to do something really fucking cool. I want to be a badass running gun. And he pulled up a video of the Rangers and grinning ear to ear. Yep, that's what I want to do. Uh, of course, they didn't have any contracts, but he told me I could just get one in basic training. So I went and just 
had a blast in basic. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed the process. Um, it was a lot of stupid shit, but I was in pretty good shape and a really sarcastic prick. So I had fun with the drill sergeants. Um, and at the end I was able to get a ranger contract, which was, uh, really awesome. I was, I was really excited about it. Went through airborne, uh, got to rasp and, had a really good time. It, it really sucked, but the whole process of just finding out who you are as an individual, how far you can push yourself, uh, breaking through a lot of those mental barriers. Um, selection for a Ranger Regiment was an absolutely incredible experience. Um, at the end of it, they, they line everybody up, ask where you want to go. Of course, everybody wants to go to first bat and hang out at the beach. And um, only uh, I don't know, one or two guys out there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, like, nope, you're going to hang out here at Fort Benning with us for a while. Um, so my entire career in the military was there at Fort Benning, which was awesome. Um, heat and humidity, absolutely loved it. But I got to third uh, battalion, and I was a member of Bravo Company right at the end of their training. Um, their training cycle, getting ready for deployment. And it was, it was right after a, a really tough deployment for them. They lost quite a few guys on the deployment before and being a new guy, you just, I didn't understand fully what I was coming into, what I was becoming a part of. And, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, you got to earn your keep whenever you get there. So there is absolutely no easy day. Um, but later on down the road, um, it, it all definitely paid off, um, being part of Bravo company. My, my first, first sergeant was, uh, Phipps and he was, uh, a part of operation Gothic serpent. And another one of the team leaders, his father um, was uh, Master Sergeant Gordon. And so I, I became a part of this incredible legacy. And it was, it, it is something to be incredibly proud of. So real quick, uh, two things. First, back up. Where are you from originally? Originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, look at you. Yeah. Um, so Never I'm going to ask back. this because this is, in, this is going to be important, uh, <clears throat> later on, but talk about like high school sports. Were you a stud? What were you into? What'd you do? Uh, not a stud by any means, but I, I love sports. That was everything that I did. I, I grew up in Boy Scouts. So being outdoors, um, it, that's where I found myself. That's where I could always hit that reset button and just get outdoors, go camping, go hiking. Um, but then growing up, um, always baseball, um, from the very beginning was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going to, uh, the Reds games with family and just hanging out and watching them. Best memories ever. Where'd you go to high school? I went to, uh, Gilbert A. Dater high school. Our sports were actually combined with Western Hills high school. Okay, I've heard um, that's yeah. yeah, it's where uh, Pete Rose went to high school. Mm -hmm. I don't um, know if you were a Molar kid, Cincinnati Molar, or any of that. We we always played against them. Yeah. We always got our asses whooped by them. Yeah, them dudes were recruiting grown men yeah. Yeah. to come play there. <laughs> yeah, Western Hills High School 
by no means is a great place to be. Yeah. But, so going forward to the uh, bouncing up to the Ranger Regiment. Now we we always talk this stuff with Ranger guys around here. First, were you in the the running Ranger era, or were you in the weightlifting? packing on pounds era of the Rangers. Cause all the Rangers guys I know are massive, but everybody else who we talked to, like, dude, when I was there, everyone ran marathons every day and we were all just lean. Yeah, I was, I've always been a little bit more of a runner. Uh, I'm on the more of the lean side. So I always enjoyed the the running part more of it, but then my, my team leader and some of the other guys in our team, they were more of like the weightlifters. So um, the running stuff was a breeze for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, but there was always that emphasis on, uh, on the weightlifting on, on bulking up and, but they, they really focused more on the, the running, the, yeah. the cardio, the fitness. Cool. Okay. So two part question here on the Rangers. One, do you want to take this time to talk shit about first and second bat and Everyone I know from any battalion that was in B Co says A Co and C Co suck. Is that true? <laughs> uh, all I can say is B Co three seven five by far is the best. Of course. If if you want to go to Ranger Bat, everybody wants to go to B Co three seven five. Perfect. See, you had it. The next guy on will be like, no, two A Co. Come on now. Yeah. Right. Like, no. Right. Yeah. No one's believing that. <laughs> so my, I have a buddy of mine that was, um, he, he was, uh, in second bat Biko and, uh, he has some great stories of in the team area shenanigans. Uh, his big, their biggest thing was they had a big Hulk fist and they would hide and you come down the hallway and they just jump out and smash you in the face. And then he smashed like a first sergeant by accident or some shit. Um, was, was there a lot of like, just kind of wild shenanigans and stuff like that there? Just team building stuff. We were attack dogs from day one. I mean, you, it it can be in the same, like the same platoon, Mm -hmm. different squad. If somebody comes into your AO, we're fucking attack dogs. So they're like, Mm -hmm. go get them. And you just, somebody's got to tap. Somebody's got to lose. Yeah, somebody's got to lose. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily have to be me. Keep it's going. Be somebody yeah. sucks to suck. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. Try harder. It was, it was uh, good uh, team building exercises, though, for sure. Oh, I'm sure. You get to know your buddies real quick. So you uh, you get in there. Um, you're in Bco. Do uh, guys? Do you deploy just as a as a ranger, or did you get into the dog stuff first? Do you, you have a deployment before you got into the dogs? Yeah, so I did uh, three deployments on the line. Um, I was a what, a grenadier, a rifleman, and then a machine gunner uh, in in that order for my first three deployments. Uh, the first one, I like I said, I got there right before um, a deployment, so I had no training, and but they said that I was going over there with them. I was really excited about it, but a little hesitant about going out. So the first month and a half, I didn't do anything. Um, I was over there with all the guys that did all the training, the, the glass houses, 
Um, just, just figuring out the job, what to do, what my role was. And then about a month and a half through it, I was able to go out on target. And at that point, pretty much still just a pack mule. Yeah, of course. You gotta be a junior guy somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, so we, I, you know, Ted and I have talked over the years to guys from any kind of special operations unit, uh, that had dogs and, Everybody tells me that when you listen to them talk, how the Rangers were deploying their dogs and how many bites they were getting and how much work and, um, and just how busy they're going in a six month cycle, getting a hundred bites maybe, or, or just some crazy work, like work, 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 work. And I met guys that were in the Ranger battalion and, and the guys like, you know, squad leaders, like I always took two dogs. We never went without them, you know, and it was always around that time that you were, you were in. So when you get out there as a, as a grenadier and a rifleman and a machine gunner, what were you seeing out of the dogs then? The most interaction I had was my first deployment and our canine handler, he had a pretty good relationship with some of the guys on my team. And so uh, I got to see him work and got to interact with them a little bit, but for the most part, their, all of their training, their stuff was a little bit separate from everything that I was doing. And especially with being the new guy, trying to figure out what my role was, it's difficult to pay attention to, to the other specialties like that. Uh, it wasn't until my third deployment. Um, that was after I got back from ranger school. So I had a little bit of, um, standing at that point and you can go out into your specialty units. So, my third deployment started talking to the canine guys. There were a lot of guys that had left and they needed um, guys to, to backfill. So that third deployment was a lot of hands-on with the other canine trainers overseas. So I got to more hands-on obedience work, um, some a little bit of decoy work, see what it actually was. Um, they got to see how I was with the dogs and if I was going to be a good candidate for the canine handler program. So after that third deployment got back and I got selected to go through the course and that's, um, that's where I ran into to Trent and he was my instructor through the canine handler course. I'm sure that was fun. Yeah. It's a trip. <laughs> We know Trent, yeah, yeah, fucking Trent. I'm sure it was a hundred miles an hour. That's what I say. It was not slow speed. <laughs> no, no, that dude does not do anything slow. Um, so that was really your first interaction. So when you come back, um, talk about how uh, they do the selection process for you guys, and then talk about getting the dog. Yeah, so we get we had a handful of guys, and they they really select who they've seen with the dogs and who is comfortable and who can actually work with them and learn the job. So for the most part, as long as you're doing well in the course, you're able to pick up all of the skills, you're going to be able to get, get a dog um, and be attached to a platoon. Going through the course, um, there were some guys that were just naturally better at the job than others. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed the entire process, the, the psychology that went into working with 
what I had always just known as a dog, you know, a pet that you can work some obedience and teach them some cool tricks, but to get with the dogs and to, to see their personality and their drives and what they're actually capable of was absolutely incredible. And by far the most fun that I had had in the military was working with the dogs. So back then when you get selected to go through, um, is all the training uh, done in-house there in Benning or were you, did you go to Von Lick or did you go somewhere else to do the training? Yeah, I think I was part of the second, second or third class um, that they did it in-house with Ranger Regiment um, before they did it all through Von Lick and it's, it's a longer course. And yeah. from, from what I was told from the guys that kind of stood up the program, there was a lot of really good information that you get there, but not all of it is applicable to what we need. So to kind of trim the fat, they, they started up their own program, did it all in house. The guys are a lot closer to home and they can really have full control of what's going on in the program. How do they select back then? how did they select what dog you would get? How they, what was their analogy in pairing that? Uh, I, I think their initial thoughts are figuring out personality types, you know, the, the dog with the handler, but then as you're working through it, you can always figure out, well, this just isn't going to work or, you know, we need to, to cater a little bit more to this, this team to get them to mesh well so that they can just figure out each other's personality. So who did they pair you with first? Oh man, I have such a hard. It's never this first time. dog you deploy with. <laughs> no, never. never. No. Um, God, I I always forget the name. Uh, my first dog, but I had him throughout the entire um, canine handler course, and then one of our our trainers or one of our handlers he got dropped from the course, mm -hmm. and he had this new dog. He was an absolute stud. He was, he was young. He was driven super aggressive, very intelligent, but I was happy with my dog. And so they switched me over to this, uh, the younger dog, his name was Yanni. And I was working with him super frustrated because he's just all over the place. <laughs> and I had gotten used to this other dog that was, he had some quirks from, uh, previous deployments, but working with him, we were able to, to work really well together and actually work through a lot of the issues that he had. And I was able to work really well with him, got to know his personality, meshed really well. They dumped this dog that was just purely insane, gave him to me at the end of the course, right when we were doing our qualifying lanes. And I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing right now. Like, <laughs> this dog is nuts. Like. So it was, it was really fun, but we, um, very challenging. We, we figured it out pretty quick. Um, you know, his, his drives, his, his behavior, his cues that he would give you, he was really easy to read and, and very intelligent. He could, he could go out searching for, um, you know, you can send him out for, for a bite or for an apprehension and 
easily on his own switch over to odor if he got into it. And it was just absolutely impressive to watch a young dog be able to do that. So the first dog that they paired you with, uh, we always like to ask guys that have were working with a couple different dogs. What did you really like about that dog? And what did you ultimately dislike? I really liked that he could turn it on and off really easy. He was a moderately mannered canine, great drives, but he did have some quirks. So that was kind of the difficult part being a new handler and trying to fix these issues that a dog has from previous deployments and never being part of any of that experience that he had, but still trying to get him to do what you want and, you know, in in the proper Hmm. way. So some challenges, but all in all, I really enjoyed that dog and, you know, being a first time handler, it was difficult letting him go, but he went to a local police department and, I know that he just absolutely crushed it. Thrived. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of um, departments that are within the state of where some of these special operations bases are that get dogs from those programs all the time. And every one of them say the same thing that these dogs are awesome. Like everything we thought they were going to be incredible that they have that established that we're able to, to give these um, departments absolutely incredible dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they, they might not be doing optimal in, in our field of work, but for them, oh, my God, they're amazing dogs. I, I found my brief time working for that contract for Cobra Canine on the West Coast was when the dogs came back, uh, the great dogs, the, the corks always tended to revolve around the just the massive amount of constant gunfire that they're around that it always just seemed to, it's not something that we're used to here. You know, the dogs here just aren't used to that. And dogs prior to the GWAT weren't used to that. And going forward, they might not get used to that, but, uh, or, or be exposed to that, I should say. But we had dogs coming back that, that you could tell had a little bit of quirks and it was, they had great deployments, great dogs. It was just nonstop gunfights all the time. Just took its toll. And, um, but that's good. So then a dog like that can end up going to a police department who's not going to have that, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's what, that's what Sirens, the we tell thing people all the time. Yeah, right. so we tell people all the time. Gun calls are not dog calls in law <laughs> enforcement. You fucking shoot people in the face. You don't bite them. Um, <laughs> so you get Yanni. Um, you guys get trained up. Um, and then they send you guys back over. Um, this is pro- what, like mid 2013 ish, right? Um, yeah, I think it was about, um, what mid September of 13 went on my, uh, fourth deployment first as a canine guy. And I, I did that entire training cycle. It's about a seven month training cycle, uh, that I was able to do with Yanni. Uh, we bonded really well. Uh, we were able to develop together as, and a new canine and a new handler. So that was, uh, it was a really fun experience. Um, got overseas and started working as an attachment and just really enjoyed the work. Our, um, we're in uh, Kandahar. So busy, uh, very, very busy there. 
um, doing a lot of uh, landing landing on the X and uh, guys just running for us or running from us. So being or running canine, for us would be nice. Hey, yeah, go, go ahead and run out there for me. <laughs> and Yanni. So being the canine guy, that was like best case scenario. Um, the first apprehension that we had, uh, we landed on the X. There were three guys that actually took off and sent out Yanni. And he just started searching for this guy, smelled him out in a bush, went in, apprehended him, dragged him out. Um, we were able to subdue him, got a release, and went after the second guy. Um, chased him down. He was, uh, you know, down down in this ditch. So was able to get the dog to apprehend him, and with the use of a long leash, was able to manually remove him from the ditch with the dog. And the platoon sergeant that I had, guy was an absolute nut. As I'm apprehending the second guy, he just takes off after the third guy. He's like, I got him. And about two minutes later, he comes back with the third guy, just uh, <laughs> walking nonchalant back to the target. I'm like, man, you're fucking nuts, man. That's funny. Um, I kind of thought that story was going to go. He went after him, and then Yanni yeah, yeah. apprehended the sergeant. <laughs> That's where I thought that was going to. <laughs> I was like, uh. <laughs> no, it was just, you know, three guys running yeah. from us. Uh, picture perfect. First, second apprehension. The third one, platoon sergeant just wanted yeah. to get him on his own. That's a whole fuck yeah situation there. I, I mean, you know, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. We got three of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're uh, we're gonna take a break real quick. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about some more deployments, uh, and then we'll talk about um, the uh, the salute that everyone I'm sure knows. Uh, so yeah, so everybody, uh, don't go anywhere. Don't fast forward through the damn commercials, and don't ask me what the damn discount codes are because I don't know. Like I don't know. I have to listen to the episode too. I had to look at it, but there. If you're gonna look, in, if you want to look at them, they're in the show notes. So just scroll down. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a second. Hits Canine Training Conference. This is America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric. All covering important topics. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida this year, August 16th through the 19th. And I know how you guys are. Everybody waits the last minute. And in the post-Rona world, everybody's training budgets are being cut and everybody's deciding whether they're going to be able to get to go or not. So don't wait because they're not going to have an infinite number of spots and the price goes up after a certain date. So get signed up as soon as possible. It's in Orlando. We'll see you there. Be sure to hit them up. Hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, 
I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. By now, you've probably all heard my story at least once. I'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself. So this next product is like near and dear to me because I actually use it. Uh, Quick Turn by Vet Care. It does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet. Quick Derm by Vetcare on the inter- on Instagram and on Facebook, and then hit them up with the discount code one zero WDR for ten percent off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American Aluminum accessory kennels in the cars. Different cars, man. Dodge Chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American Aluminum Accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh, canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. EasyRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American aluminum accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, Training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FL, FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. We are with uh, Josh Hargis from 375, K9 Handler, and we just kind of got up to the point where he has taken the new dog, Yanni, that <laughs> he you spent seven months with, and you're like, yeah. And first, first time out on the X, you guys got a couple of apprehensions. Um, how many more deployment? Like, what was the deployment? Um, like, what was the rotation like? And you guys were super busy over there just from talking to like, my other buddies that are there at the same time that you were, um, you guys were 
rocking and rolling like every night. Yeah, that was uh, the busiest deployment that I've been on. Uh, was in Kandahar, and you know we do we do rotations. So I think ours was every we went out probably every two or three nights. Um, the other platoon they would they'd rotate in and out with us. But as a canine guy, sometimes they need to, depending on the the scenario that we're that we're involved in. So yeah, sometimes it, it was just back to back. Every canine guy we've talked to from Vietnam all the way up through has said, you know, when you get over there as a canine guy, you get whored out for a lack of a better term, where you're you're plussed up with this guy, this group, that group, that group, that group, all over. Some of some of them Marine Corps guys were saying they were they were getting plussed up all over the country, moved around, helicoptered over here, go out there, uh, all over the place. Did you you guys find that a lot where you had to hop in with the other platoon quite often? Your days off were less or or about the same? Yeah, we we can bounce back and forth between platoons, but we're still working within the regiment. We never really go out to um, the other units that are stationed at the same base, um, it's, it's all in-house. They, they have their own guys. And from what I've heard, yeah, they, they get moved around a lot and it's just, it's nonstop for them. The other platoon that was there at the time, uh, their dog guy was about, did he go through the class with you or has he been there before? Yeah. Uh, it was a guy that he had been a hand, a, a canine handler, sorry for, uh, I think this was his third deployment mm. and he had been attached to the same company as me that I've been working with, uh, all through deployment. So I knew the guy had a great relationship with him, uh, worked really well together. So that was, you know, again, just ideal situation. So before we get it, we're going to get into like a, a wild ass story here in, in a, in a, a few minutes, but prior leading up to that, what was the, um, what was the nose work side of the whole thing going? Everybody likes to hear the bite stories, but Ted and I are geeks. We want to hear what you, were you fine? What was the primary explosive they're using? What was a kind of a neat little find that you had there? Um, we didn't have too many finds. The, um, I guess the most interesting uh, it, it was all, you know, HME um, and suicide vests in that area. The The only find that we actually had was it was a compound that was manufacturing suicide vests. So in, I guess, like the, the sewing room, they were hitting on odor nonstop, didn't find any explosives, but just hitting on everything in these rooms. And then also in the courtyard, you know, the dogs hitting on where the, uh, the vests were actually being stored in the meantime, until they were being picked up by whoever was using them. So that was, that was actually the only older work for, as far as explosive goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just, it was interesting getting those indications and being able to build that case. Yeah, that's, it's, it's it's always fun on the LE side um, guy that I used to work with. He, he had 11 fines on one call uh, with his dog, explosive dog, which you don't really get to do in law enforcement that much. And it was same kind of thing, building a, building a case against the guy who had smoked somebody and had all kinds of homemade explosives and stuff at his house. And he was, (laughs) he was a hillbilly tree stump removal guy. He made, um, 
he made he was. pipe bombs and he would dig a hole under the stump and put the pipe bomb under and blow that bitch right out next to your trailer. Like that's right some Oklahoma shit. That's some Oklahoma Florida shit. If I've ever heard it, that, <laughs> that is like, it's people still do that Ohio, here. buddy. I don't, yeah, I don't no. see anything wrong with that. No. <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> I don't either. It's just, yeah. That is some definite. Oh, I'm from Oklahoma, though. We, we do that shit here. Um, so we're at about September ish, um, 2013. You're going out every two to three days. Um, so early October comes around, and you guys are still in Kandahar. Um, so go ahead and talk about um, the night of October 6th, 2013. Yeah. Um, so but went out October 5th. It was it, it just seemed like one of those targets that was gonna be a cakewalk, you know, just a compound out in the middle of nowhere, nothing really going on. Um, I was getting really comfortable as the canine guy now. We'd gone on tons of missions, had about half a dozen apprehensions, uh, done some older work, so you know, feeling, feeling confident, uh, felt good about it. And that was just the, the general attitude that I had going out that night was just, you know, all right, just, uh, just one more. And we, we landed on the X and, um, immediately got word that there was a squirter from the compound. So went with the interdiction team and, absolute chaos just broke out then uh as we're running after this guy um we're we're in this wadi and up at the top of it was the target compound and we just start hearing explosions go off absolutely no idea what's going on there were about i don't know about three that had gone off while we're chasing after this guy these are like pretty heavy explosions yeah pretty you know pretty noticeable um like frag grenade uh explosions so not really getting a whole lot over the radio while we're going after this guy and we, we probably chased him down about uh, it's probably 100 150 yards and while we're running after this guy hearing the explosions um you know the, the only thing going through my mind was we got to get this guy. We got to get back to the compound and, you know, we got to get back with our guys. So as we're in this wadi, I actually see this, um, engineer tape, the, the white engineer tape. I thought it was really strange that it was, it was like a path was marked in this wadi for this guy, just engineer tape all the way from where we got in there through this entire path that the guy was running. So, I was like, all right, I'm not leaving this fucking path. I'm going to run this thing all the way and, and get this guy down. So we get there and we know that he is hiding in this brush. So as the canine guy, I halt the team. I announced that I'm going to send out the dog and, um, and apprehend him so that we can just get this over and done with. Uh, use a red laser um, to indicate where uh, where the dog should go and he followed it up and over just like we had been working on and as i lost sight of him 
heard another explosion go off and just this deep sinking feeling that he was gone. Um, went up on the side of the hill um, in the water that we were in to, to look down and it's just, you know, a, a burn patch um, where, where it had gone off. And we fortunately were able to stum stumble upon Yanni's remains. Um, he had his IR strobe was still going off on the back of his vest. And so we cleared up to him and um, there's only the, the bottom half of him left. And so based off of what we were able to see and what was left of Yanni, we were able to come to the conclusion that um, he had a suicide vest and whenever Yanni tried to apprehend him, he clacked himself off and, and, and killed Yanni in the process. So I was able to package him up um, and that, that involved, uh, you know, stuffing his intestines back in him because I wasn't going anywhere without him. Um, throwing him over my shoulder and, and carrying him back to the target compound. Um, once we got back there, uh, we got up to the, our, um, our, our security. Uh, external security. I was able to to put him down, pull the flag out uh, of my kit that I carried with me because I didn't really have anything else to wrap him up with. Laid him down, wrapped him up, and um, kept working. Um, back at the compound, there were it was just absolute chaos. There were team members that were already deceased, um, other team members that were actively getting worked on, um, and being the canine guy, um, you know, my, my role was over and done with, but, you know, that was the point where I, I had to fill in and, um, you know, just, just help out the guys, you know, anything to, to accomplish the mission and, and, and get back home. So that involved in from somebody to work on or our EOD tech, he was off to my left about um, a buried IED. And that kind of, it kind of uh, let it sink in that we're in the middle of a fucking minefield. Yeah. And so that just, you know, absolute fear of God. Um, and, you know, hindsight, there, uh, there should have been a freeze call made at that point and everybody should have been, you know, worked out of there. But heat of the moment, nothing goes to plan. So uh, I think it was about, it took about, two more steps and I ended up stepping on a pressure plate. Uh, I remember going up, coming back down, hitting the ground and uh, just uh, didn't really know what happened. 
and then I could hear the uh, the platoon sergeant. He called out that he didn't know who it was, where it was, and uh, then I realized, shit, that was me. And so I uh, yelled out to my guys. I was like, I was like, fuck, I'm over here, guys. It was me. I'm over here. Uh, so they ran over really quick. Um, I think our, it was either our EOD tech or a PJ was the first one on me and uh, started throwing tourniquets on. I had no clue what was going on. No clue my legs were gone. Um, but I was on the ground for about an hour and 45 minutes before I got exfilled. And through the entire time, I was conscious, um, coherent, you know, talking talking to him about everything, um, you know, asking if my legs were gone, um, you know, kept bugging him about my hand because it was all chewed up. And uh, um, uh, I was, uh, I was actually able to let them know that I had a tension Nemo um, laying on the ground, um, talking to him the entire time. Uh, after a little bit, started getting short breath, lightheaded, and I was able to communicate that with my doc. And it was like an oh shit moment. Um, but because of that, they were able to get the needle D's in really quick and um, uh, get the get the breathing going. So uh, really. Uh, really unique experience. Um, I, I can say it now being eight years after the fact, really cool that I was able to, to be coherent through it all. And yeah, that's crazy. Actually remember so much of it and, yes. um, and help them, you know, through some of the first aid stuff that was going on. That, that, yeah. When you said you remember going up and down, that's nuts. Well, it I mean, was, that's uh, nuts that you remember yeah, that. It, was, it was like a, a weightlessness and vividly remember to this day, um, while I was kind of suspended like that, that suspended conscious feeling, um, uh, sorry, it's a hard one. Um, seeing my wife and my unborn child's face, um, we uh, we found out about a week and a half before I got um, before I got blown up that we, uh, my wife was pregnant. So, nope. um, kind of had that um, that vision during that 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 weightlessness and yeah, one of those things that that helps you fight through it all. So, I mean this this is just pure chaos and pandemonium basically mm -hmm. the the uh the guy runs off blows up the dog and himself other guys in the meantime have also been uh killed by other explosions there in hindsight looking back on it i'm i'm sure pretty quickly they figured out this was a bait trap that they knew yeah. you guys were going to come at some point that was the thing i'm going to run they're going to follow they're all going to come across this thing and and all this complete mayhem is going to con uh, um, continue to go on. Uh, did, I can't remember if you said 
or if it was an article I read that a female came out and, and clacked off a vest there too. Yeah. So uh, part of this worker interdiction team, we were completely removed from everything that initially happened at the target compound, uh, but later found out that um, it, yeah, absolutely a, a bait situation where our guys got into the target compound. And as soon as we started the call out, you know, the batteries are connected. All the all the IEDs are are hot, and you know, it was a, a good luck situation for us to get out. Um, as they did their call out, one of the guys, um, he he got a hold of one of the detainees, and as soon as he got his hand on, the other started to run towards him. And before he was able to uh, engage the threat, um, she clacked herself off. Oh my gosh. Uh, I told you guys, this is a wild story. It's a wild story to hear. And I, um, I had gotten out to the West coast on the 21st of October for that uh, contract job. And um, I remember hearing about that as soon as I got there. It was October 21st. Yeah. That I got there. So it's two weeks later um, that, that I get out there and they're, and the guys are all talking about that. And it was just the entire thing sounds uh, just unbelievable. Um, So they uh, both your legs are gone. They got you tourniquet. They have um, the gel basically. What are they, how are they keeping on the field, the hour and a half is a long time. Yeah. You know, while they're waiting on, on to get you evac out, um, they get you out. And this is where a lot of people go. Oh, I know this guy. They get you to the hospital. And I, I think yeah. it's like the next day they come in with the purple heart. Is that right? Or a day or two later? Uh, I, I don't remember much from it, but yeah, I think it was the either a day or two after they did the purple heart ceremony in the hospital. And I was, um, unconscious, um, sedated for all of it. But I do remember just, you know, quick little blips of, um, what happened in there. I, I remember hearing that our, um, the, the regimental commander was, was president and, um, it was just kind of like a, a, a jerk reaction to, to render a salute. So just kind of trying to get my hand free and i remember feeling uh, some resistance but then being able to get my hand free and then that resistance that's, being nine thousand tubes in your arm probably <laughs> yeah tubes restraints uh the nurse trying to keep me from moving <laughs> uh, so the commander comes in what rank is that um uh i i can't remember if he was a um like a full bird or a lieutenant colonel. It's a fucking high one. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about yeah. that? Somebody <laughs> salute. <laughs> Some, yeah. Somebody so, yeah. corporate fears not saluting. Yeah. yeah, right. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Unconscious, just come out of surgery. And everyone thinks you're asleep. And up comes the salute in the hospital bed, which went viral. That that's a somebody got a picture of it. Um if you yeah. if you Google Josh, you'll find it. Or coffeeordie.com has a really good article about it with a picture of it. And um, when I said the tubes and stuff, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, he's 
um, the bandaged up uh, hand. This was the hand you said was all mangled up. Um, no, my left hand, my left hand was uh, was pretty messed up. I think my right hand was. It might have been bandaged a little bit, but it was yeah, maybe got burned or something. Yeah. Now, what's going on with your left hand? What? Uh, um, it's, come out? It's uh, it's still pretty good. I have some um, just some scarring. My my thumb's a little bit shorter, but the uh, that middle finger's a little wonky. Yeah, <laughs> the middle one doesn't bend. It's uh, fused, fused on its own here. Extremely arthritic on the second joint. So it. Uh, I didn't want to let it go. They they wanted me to cut it off because it was just going to get in the way, which it does all the time. Um, but still have feeling, and uh, I'd lost a, a couple limbs already, and I, I didn't want to voluntarily uh, yeah. surrender some more. That's nice. Be, I'd be yeah. afraid to fall asleep. These some bitches are going to take this hand <laughs> when I'm asleep and take my shit away from me while I'm fucking yeah. asleep. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, oh my god. So let's, yeah. um, I, I want to decompress a little bit. I wanna, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the recovery, the prosthetics, and then where you ended up going on the, how, what kind of an awesome life you made out of all, out of all this. So we're going to go ahead and uh, take a break. Don't fast forward through the commercials. I know you will, but at the bottom of the show notes is all the discount codes. We have great sponsors. Please be sure to check them out. We'll be right back. All right, we love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower, so they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know you put in, denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website tactical police canine training.com you get on there under training the online course but here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor canine supervisor course which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training they don't know as much as they should right here online uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers proper deployment effective allocation and utilization as well as liability and the FLSA issues which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end uh, they're offering an amazing discount guys 30% off using the discount code WDR30 it's a no-brainer if you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go Get on tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. Another one of our favorite partnerships with the podcast here is the one and only Dogtra. The Dogtra guys have been producing some amazing tools in the dog training world for a long time. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball trainers. If it's electric and you use it with a dog, they've probably done it. They're the best. They are revolutionizing the way you communicate with the dog. I use it daily, whether I'm using pets. Uh, I use the 200C on most of our pets. Uh, most of my patrol guys will use a 1900 hands-free, 1900S hands-free. And then I use the ball popper pretty much daily with all of our detection dogs for imprinting on our box protocols. So hit them up at Dogtra Official on Instagram and Facebook. And then you've got Dogtra.com. And when you go there, if you use the discount code WDR. 
one zero, they'll give you 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. So if you're looking at a 1900 S or that ball popper pro or one of those things, it'll knock a substantial chunk off there. So hit them up. Doctor.com W D R one zero. So everybody knows that Ted and I, uh, not only train police dogs, we train pet dogs, right? We train dogs. So it's why our relationship with Ray Allen manufacturing is so important. They've, these guys have been doing this so long. They knew and they understand that dogs are dogs and it's not just working dog people that need things for their dog and dog training. So you go to rayallen.com. They have everything dog related that you need. Anything that when it comes to dogs, pet dogs, your pet training dogs, police dogs, dogs you're training for other departments, anything you need, rayallen.com. Uh, they've got it. You can get on there. So if you're ordering stuff for police dogs and if you have a pet side, you can get it all in one, man. They ship it out. Got a nice big box full of a whole bunch of stuff. There's nothing better than getting a big box of dog training stuff in the mail. They also are great to us and they offer a discount code working dog radio, all capital letters, working dog radio for 10% off. Check them out. RayAllen.com. Great people. Ted and I use them every day. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high-quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so if you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra rideronline.com if you're looking for them on instagram and facebook it's american aluminum accessories feel free to hit them up there too so our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is arno out out at ALM uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him, give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a, suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM canine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness 
and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around and everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels or give them a call 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody. We are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Um, I probably, some of you probably listened to this, had to go make a drink after that story. Um, that I told you, we told you it was going to be, it's a crazy one. It's, it's insane. Um, but, and we're so happy that you survived it. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine physically and mentally what the recovery was. Um, I would think that, you know, guys from three, seven, five B co maybe mentally are a little bit stronger to get through, but you're a freaking human being. So talk a little bit about the recovery. Um, and like how the prosthetic thing came about, that was like how, how kind of, I'm so fascinated about how that journey began. Um, it was, so it actually started in Germany. I got held up there for an additional 10 days and, Mind you, there was a, a government shutdown at the time. So that's that's kind of how my story or the, the, the picture of the salute got to be such a big deal is the, the, just the political setting at the time. Um, so the early survival or survivor death benefits weren't being paid out to the family. So they, you know, there were people that were donating their, their private jets to fly family members around the U S because the, the government wasn't assisting with any of this stuff. Um, being held up in Germany for 10 days because I had fluid and on my lungs and I wasn't able to fly under normal circumstances, my wife would have been flown out to, to be with me. Um, but because of that, she had to to sit at home and and wonder if I was going to die at any point in time because of infection, which very well could have happened at any point. I don't know how it doesn't happen with so many open wounds. You know, man, it's I, amazing. I was I was going through recovery in San Antonio, and there was a guy that that came in. I was about a month or two. Um, 
post-injury and he came there from a gunshot wound and i was like oh like super glad this guy like it was just a gunshot wound like i'm glad he he's most likely gonna have a great recovery the next day i go in for rehab the guy passed away from an infection and that was just like a ghost white moment of like holy shit I, I never realized how close to death's doorstep I, I had and I still am because I, I had open wounds for nearly three months after I got injured. And so going back to when, the, when it happens and when you're in the hospital and, and they got you sedated and everything, was it just constant pain? Like, cause pain drives people insane. It really, it really causes a lot of problems. How did they mitigate that? What did they do for you? What, what was that like? No, they, they got stuff for that. Yeah. They got that, uh, <laughs> they got that magic little button. You can press <laughs> button, button. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I had a, um, when an epidural, the lower back, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had one of those in and man, when those things came out, yeah, felt a lot of pain. If they move just a little bit and they're not in the right spot, yeah, I could feel everything and I noticed that I didn't have legs anymore. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was absolutely brutal. But um, yeah, one of the things going back to being on target, one of the things that got me through that those little fentanyl pops, mm. those things are uh, fucking magic. Yeah, I've heard the stories about those about people's dog lighting them up, and they <laughs> they turn the dog and be like, "Hey, <laughs> let, me get, let me get a sucker." And yeah, I, yeah, I've heard those stories. Um, so when you were in high school, um, I mean, you were a fairly athletic dude, but um, like, what sports did you play in high school? And this becomes relevant here in just a second. Yeah, no, I played um, like uh, recreational basketball through my church, uh, baseball since I was a little kid, um, football in junior high, soccer all through high school. Um, so always playing sports, always you know outdoor camping. Um, right. It's just I, I, I've been addicted to dr- adrenaline from an extremely young age. So the physical therapy process um, is sucks. I mean, it's painful, it's long, it's boring, and you're kind of dealing with <clears throat> being a fucking ranger, and now you don't have legs. Um, so how did you transition into playing hockey? You didn't play hockey when you were a kid, and so now um, during physical therapy, you somehow were like, I'm going to play hockey. And, um, yeah, so give us that background. Give us that story. Yeah, we don't want to jump ahead too far, but well, we could talk for three hours about your legs. So we want to get – we're not Joe Rogan doing three-and-a-half-hour podcasts, so yeah. we want to uh, definitely – yeah, Ted is right, man. Um, it's in, That's why I asked you earlier before. I'm like, wait a minute. He didn't say hockey. <laughs> no, yeah. That's why I brought it back up again. So people probably didn't remember from the very first episode. So, I mean, how did you get into the hockey portion? Yeah. So hockey was, it was kind of, um, 
it's all part of that gaining and dependence aspect of going through physical therapy. You know, there are aspects of getting your legs and learning how to walk and working through all of those struggles. There is, um, and mind you, it's all coming from being a fucking army ranger and just a Billy badass kicking in doors, um, running and gunning to, I don't have legs. I'm in a wheelchair. I am reliant on my wife for my medications and for these shots that I have to take every day and getting shit out of the cupboards because I just can't do it anymore or for the time being. So absolute huge struggle working through all of that stuff and, and, and fighting to, to gain independence again and to become, and to really just figure out who I am and who I can become and who I want to become. And through a program um, run by Operation Comfort, they're a nonprofit group out in San Antonio. They, they offer these programs where guys can opt out of doing physical therapy and they can go and get on the ice or um, go hand cycle with other guys that are injured. So I went as much as I could and I, I got on the ice and I still had an open wound. So I had my prosthetist make a cover for my legs so I didn't get bang, uh, banged up and just got on the ice and started skating and going through the constraints of not having legs and being wheelchair bound at the time, being able to get on the ice and going fast, being like feeling free um, and being able to work together with other people again. It's, um, it helped me forget that I was disabled. And to this day, it, it still gives me that. It's, you know, you, you suit up, you get in your sled, you get on the ice, and it doesn't matter what your disability is. Lower body, it just, it completely takes it out of the equation. And you're, you're really just not disabled anymore. Um, I'm out on the ice all the time with able body guys, you know, stand up hockey players. And I can make these guys look like shit sometimes. Uh, so <laughs> yes. it's, yes, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's taken a really long time, but through discipline, dedication, hard work, sacrifice, all of the cliches, all of the, the, the sacrifices that my, my wife has made knowing that it's all to enable me to, to feel whole again. So for, you know, every single day, um, after I found hockey, that was, that was my goal. That was my mission set was to become a member of the U S men's national sled hockey team and to compete internationally and one day at the Paralympics. Um, and after, after playing for what, four, four years, I, um, I was finally selected to the, uh, 
to the U.S. national set hockey team. That's crazy, man. That's so awesome. How how many guys like try out for that? Um, there, let's see. At tryouts, usually about um, I think like sixty guys. Wow, showed yeah. up for for tryouts this last time. You guys actually won gold medal in the world championships. What two thousand nineteen or two thousand twenty one? Right. Yeah, so I, yeah. I made the team in 2018. So I was, um, I've been on, I've been part of the team for the 2019 and 2021 uh, World Championships where we won the gold medal in both. That's crazy. You had to have been like over the top with that. Absolutely incredible feeling for, uh, to be there with all the guys that you train with just nonstop. Everybody is there. You know, we, we all sacrifice so much behind the scenes to, to just be the best version of ourselves on the ice so that we can contribute to that, that, that common goal. And for, for it to all come together after we play about five or six games through a tournament, it's, uh, it, it is the most enjoyable just the most enjoyable battle going from, you know, start to gold medal match and getting on the podium like that. So in, in international sled hockey, who's our enemy? Like who, who should I hate? Oh, Canada. Canada? Okay. Always Canada. Oh, it's hockey. They're so yes. polite though. <laughs> it's hockey. I don't know. Russia had something they're going so on. There. <clears throat> Russia, they, they have a really good program, but ever since uh, Sochi, they've, uh, been dealing with some uh they've been fucking cheating some some supplemental <laughs> issues they've been fucking cheating <laughs> yeah. yeah like and not just in hockey like literally everything right so. they, get, they get caught for um you know like for cheating for mm, man um, you know this, passing clean urine through walls dude this that story is insane if you if you're listening to this and you haven't heard the story of how the Russians cheated in Sochi, both at the Paralympics and in the regular Olympics. It involved like state sponsored, like the FSB and the KGB shit. Like they had government, like basically their CIA was helping the fucking Olympic team pass right. clean urine. I mean, they had special buildings fucking built. Like it was cra right. it's crazy. I think there's a thing on, I don't know where I saw it is like Netflix or something. There was a whole deal on it. It's fucking insane. Like it's when I watch, it's it's insane. It's not unlike when Cheech and Chong, when Chong had to, uh, Cheech had to piss dirty or piss clean, and he took Chong's sister's pee, and he was dead. pregnant, but she was yeah. pregnant, right? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> what if that's how they yeah. caught him? They had uh, a pregnant dude. So. <laughs> there was a whole way. There's a whole thing about how they caught him. It was crazy. The the World Doping Anti Doping Agency or whatever. I mean, they had a they had some like weird value. Like they they ended up catching him. And I don't. There's a whole story about how they did it, but it's fucking insane. If you're listening to this, it's a complete side thing. It has nothing to do with dogs. It's a crazy story though. And like any time when when you hear it, you're like, there's no way that they did this. No fuck. I mean, and like, they're like saying that Putin was involved or that he had knowledge of it. And I'm like, well, I mean, of course he had knowledge of it. Get the fuck well, yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, yeah, but I'm like, when I heard about it, I was like, hey, you're fucking kidding me. But so um, your story is crazy because you didn't, you didn't hockey. You didn't play hockey as a kid. You get on there, uh, you make the team, you get, you know, two championships. How many other guys on the team have a story like you that were not hockey players that just 
had the motivation? Um, there are about, I think, six or seven uh, military veterans. And pretty much well, most of us have gotten blown up overseas, either blown mm-hmm. up or shot overseas. Uh, amputations. We have one guy, he was um, military, but he was injured stateside, uh, motorcycle accident. And um, you know, for all the other guys, they they pretty much, for the most part, they grew up playing sled hockey. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting seeing these younger guys that are born into sled hockey. And, um, and then you get these older guys that you know, at, at 25, at 30 years old, we come into the sport, we got to learn it from square one and keep up with these, you know, 18, 19 year olds mm-hmm. that are, that are just cruising through it all. As you say, are they more finesse? Those yeah. Guys? Yeah, definitely. Um, you that, guys just uh, may hit stick. For exactly. Smash. Yeah. <laughs> smash. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I had a hard time whenever I first came into the sport because it was go out there, literally Ranger smash. And, you know, <laughs> all of the, the hate and anger that I was just holding on to surrounding everything, you know, losing my legs and having to deal with this shit now. Um, I, I created a lot of really bad relationships with guys that are actually my teammates now. So um, it, it was kind of unfortunate that that's how it turned out in the beginning. Um, but they, they all know, um, I'm a decent guy. Yeah. So that's the one thing, the one thing about Rangers is, uh, no matter what your status is, you still can drink some beer. So there's always some, you know, some, a way to mend some problems here and there over a pint. Yeah. You guys love to hang out, man. So, um, is your wife watching off camera there? Is she sitting there or she's no, she's, kids? uh, yeah, she's taking care of the kids. We never get to, uh, <laughs> we get a lot of guys on that have, you know, had a lot, some injuries in service and stuff, nothing crazy story like yours, but we never get to tell the wives how awesome they are. So be sure to, when this, uh, comes out that she gets to listen to it and hear, uh, how much we support her and, uh, and everybody supporting, uh, what, what helps you get to do what you're going to do. But now, so the goal here is to go to the Olympic games. Yeah. But what's going on? Um, so, you know, with all the, the COVID stuff, um, everybody knew that there were going to be some issues with um, the, the vaccinations, especially since the games are taking place in place in Beijing. Um, so we, we had all anticipated um, Beijing implementing a vaccine requirement. And so as a team, um, with the staff, we were all just kind of preparing for it. Um, you know, talking about what was going to happen, what we were planning on. Um, but ultimately just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen whenever the playbook for the games came out. Um, and unfortunately the, um, Team USA, um, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, they preemptively came out with their own vaccine mandate. And that, like, it, it fucking sucks whenever uh, they came out with that because then it's it, it was like a brick wall in front of a hurdle. Uh, you know, it, 
you know, now we have to, to first get past our own country to represent the red, white, and blue. And if we're not able, you know, first off, if you choose not to get vaccinated or you're unable to, um, then you have to go through an exemption process. And that is um, either a religious or a medical process. And it was a pretty narrow window considering, um, you know, we, we have trials, we have tryouts for these teams. So these are also things that our non-governing bodies are taking into consideration whenever they're selecting the teams. So, um, you know, there, there were conversations that were had with the, uh, the USOPC about, um, you know, their reasoning behind it, um, what they're trying to preemptively um, address. And it, it ultimately just felt like a, a knife in the back to, um, to U.S. athletes, because if you didn't get vaccinated, if you didn't get your exemption, then now you, you can't compete at a world event, something that is supposed to be apolitical and is supposed to be it, the Olympic spirit is a stage for athletes to present or for countries to present their their best athletes. And with that, it becomes here are our best athletes that we deem worthy. And for the others, you know, your, your hard work, your dedication, your sacrifice is no, is no longer valid in our eyes. Yeah. Even during, um, the middle of hot girl summer, not this summer, the Tokyo Olympics, um, there wasn't a mandate from the U S Olympic committee for, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the U S the U S athletes. And I think like 80, I don't know, 80 something percent of, I think that's what they reported of our athletes were, fully vaccinated but they still had an additional 20 that were there that were competing and <laughs> i don't know like i mean they didn't it didn't seem to be a problem then yeah and it was here we are 0. 0.0027 positive covid um test uh, among athletes and that is all athletes um that were at the games um i think it was about um 60 or so athletes that tested positive, but that, you know, just looking at the numbers, they don't say if those are asymptomatic or not. Um, and that was, you know, at the height of this Delta variant. So if you go off of the same positive test rate among um, the winter games, you know, or what is it for the Paralympic games, that's a potential nine cases. So now how many athletes are you completely removing from being able to compete for potential nine of the best athletes in the world, the, the healthiest athletes in the world, whose job, our, our sole job is to take care of our bodies, to be physically fit and to, to know everything that goes into our body and how it affects us. 
it all seems it, it it's all just blatantly counterintuitive to to what we are as athletes and the Olympic spirit. And it sounds to me by listening to their responses, they don't give a shit what you have to say. That yeah. they've decided and that's it, period. They'll give religious and medical exemptions. But uh I don't know. They give those out, but do they really honor those? Yeah, I uh I was able to <clears throat> to apply for a religious exemption and it was actually approved, but unfortunately I got that approval letter um, a day after I was ultimately cut from the the men's national team. Um, I've been a member of the team for the last three and a half years. Um, You know, subjectively, I I feel like I've only improved every single year. But, um, you know, the the decision came down and, um, you know, it's it. It ultimately is a team effort, and I understand why the decisions are made and um, just considering everything surrounding it all, just it, it, it fucking sucks. It does. Um, what can you yeah. do? You know, no, there's you're, no way you're, you're yeah. fighting so much more than an individual. Yeah. So prior prior to being cut though, were they um, meeting? Were they practices? Were there the, you weren't vaccinated, but you could be around the guys? Or, or how was that? Yeah, so we we'd actually been training, competing together since uh, I think it was February of uh, this year, and we held I don't know six training camps, um, a mix of vaccinated, unvaccinated. We got into our bubble. We were able to train and compete without any incident. Uh, we got over to the Czech Republic. We were able to compete over there um, without incident. So, you know, from from our perspective, um, we were able to see that yes, we can train, we can compete uh, with all of these precautions that we're taking. You know, yes, there are a few extra steps, but if that enables us to compete and to do it internationally then yeah by all means i'll i'll wear a mask if if that means i get to skate i'll uh, i'll hang out in a hotel during a two week competition so that we can do this and our our program the uh, usa hockey there there are non-governing body which is you know kind of falls under team usa um they were absolutely incredible through all of this. They allowed us the opportunity to, uh, to still be part of the team, to train, to compete. And they were giving us, um, enough time to, to pursue all of these exemptions, um, you know, while we're still holding tryouts for the team. It's so, uh, I'm not even there and it's just so frustrating uh, and you can hear it. Everybody can hear it in your voice. Um, so what are we doing now? What, where are we going forward? You, you, we being you mostly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, conversations that I've, I've had with my wife about it. We're uh, eager to 
to, to kind of get past all of it. But at the same time, you know, hockey has given me so much and, and everything that uh, my family that, that we've, that we've sacrificed, that we've, uh, that we've worked for um, has been to get to the Paralympics. And now that the rug is you know pulled out from under us, it's, it's been a difficult one to deal with, but you know, we're, we're always moving forward. It, it's, never going to um to keep us from being happy healthy household so uh, I'm, I'm still pursuing hockey um still trying to get to the paralympics this next year and so i'm on ice every day uh training on off the ice i'm here with a, a group of about 10 guys that uh, that are on the the national team so we're all working together and if you know my part is just being here and training and pushing these guys then 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 that's my part that's my role in these paralympic games yeah um that's i mean you're doing you're doing your part doing what you can uh and who knows who knows what's going to happen, you know, um, staying, just not getting, not quitting, not giving up, sticking, you know, staying in shape, staying ready, helping is, uh, is super important for the whole, the whole group as a whole. And I know the guys, they have to appreciate it. They, they can see it. They probably get bummed out, uh, knowing that you're not there potentially. Um, so we're going to, we're going to go wrap it up, but before we do, is there anything you want to promote? Is there any groups or anything related to any part of your life or story that you want to maybe give a plug to or anything like that? Any of their social media websites, anything? Um, God, man, there, there've been so many organizations that have helped me out along the way. Um, Semper Fi Fund, uh, America's Fund, Operation Comfort, who got me started in hockey, uh, the Garrison East Foundation that my wife and I are working with right now to to help us build a fully adapted smart home um, so that we can uh, kind of feel free in our own home and not limited by um, you know typical typical houses that just aren't built for people with disabilities and being in a wheelchair. So that's that's something that we're we're looking forward to is being comfortable in our own home. Um, Wounded Warrior Outdoors they um, they got me out and they they got me hunting. They they helped me uh, again just push myself to pass my limits. You know, as an amputee, being able to get out outdoors and in the woods and and hunt and just be extremely uncomfortable and eat shit over and over and over again, <laughs> hiking through the woods. You're um, like, it's like going through fucking ranger selection again. This is great. Yeah, but it, it <laughs> they was, probably let you sleep at least, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they feed us a little bit better. Um, but just finding these these pieces that help me put myself back together, or remind myself that I still have these pieces. They're always there. Um, they, they've just been covered up. They've been overshadowed by 
Um, some of the, some are physical constraints, but some, a lot of them are just mental barriers that you just have to break down and work through in order to, to be comfortable and to feel confident again. Um, and then also one last one, sorry, uh, That's right. is uh, Dog Nation. It's uh, a group out of Colorado. They, um, it's a nonprofit. They work with uh, hockey guys and to help out families that are in need. And they're also uh, raising funds to, to build a fully adapted ice rink in Colorado that will work start to finish, never having to, to change anything over from sled or disabled hockey to able hockey. So something that is built purely for the entire hockey community. That's awesome, man. And, and that's, that's a lot of funds to raise. Cause you're talking, you know, that's a lot of money. Yeah. A, a lot of moving parts with that one. So before we go, um, you know, the the story with your dog and everything is amazingly touching, like tragic. Do you um are you a dog guy still? Do you have a dog? Do you have a pet dog? I do. Um, I have two border collie mixes. Uh, one came off of a ranch out of a cattle ranch out in Colorado, and then my ten year old dog. I had him before I got injured. Um, I did all the the obedience work with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was a puppy and trained him up as a service dog uh, after oh, sweet. he injured. And there's a, I have another picture, um, got to the hospital, got to see him for the first time and just dealing with um, the guilt of, of losing a working dog. I know it's, uh, it, it would be crazy for some people to, to think of, but um, just like a, a really heavy burden um, from being the one that made that decision that ultimately led to his death, um, getting him back. Um, I was in like a motorized wheelchair. He hopped up in my lap. It, it <laughs> hurt incredibly <laughs> bad, but seeing him and, uh, you know, him just loving me unconditionally. That was, uh, I love that dog. Man. What's his name? Uh, Dent. 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 Yeah. I like it. Black I've never, never trained white. a dent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Harvey Dent. And yeah, I was going to say, his face yeah. is split black and white. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. It was like, <laughs> yeah, Harvey. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, that's interesting. No, yeah. duh. I've got my head in my ass because that should have been pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he actually um, broke his back um, about two years ago. Two years ago on Thanksgiving, broke his back, um, was paralyzed in his back legs. And I was out of town. And just sobbing because um, we thought that we were going to have to put him down, but we were able to find a surgeon to uh, to fix the ruptured disc. And um, he's just—is that from being a border collie? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, border collie border shit. Collie, yep. <laughs> yeah. Now he's just a grumpy old man with a sore back, and he's uh, hey, still, that's me. Okay, I was about to say, sounds like <laughs> Eric. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. That's so great. Do you have, uh, you have any social media of your own you want to plug? Uh, I do. I'm on, um, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram is, uh, Josh Hargis 40. Uh, don't expect to get too much content because I'm not crazy big on social media. No, there's some good pictures of you and your family on there though. 
um everybody looks very happy so i i love to see that um what about you ted where are you at uh ted underscore summers um on instagram and of course we have working underscore dog underscore radio uh, for the podcast and then torchlight k9 letter k number nine and then torchlight pets for all the pet dogs we just got a uh mini aussie puppy that we're training his name's kiwi and he's like a little cotton ball with legs he's super cute um so there's pictures of him up there if you're listening you can go look at him and he's like well in this air but he'll be done by then but he's super cute we've that's where we put all the pet stuff the canine side is where we do all of the police dogo stuff um and of course, we got HRG. We also have the Patreon thing. Um, Patreon subscribers, Eric's been putting up videos. I put up one the other day of the new, my new Malinois puppy named Sapporo, um, working on his article indication and using opposition reflex. Eric and I talk about it all the time, uh, but it was a good administration of how I use a leash and how I use, I guess, not a very normal way of using opposition reflex. I thought it was pretty normal. Somebody pointed it out to me. They're like, oh man, I'm like, no, no, it's the same thing. But uh, yeah, so go find us there. Uh, where are you? Uh, Van S. Canine on Instagram. That's where most of my stuff is. Ridgeside Canine Ohio is the pet stuff. If, if you like real cute, cool pictures of pet dogs, go check out Ridgeside Canine Ohio or any of the Ridgeside Canine locations. And then uh, I have Van S. Canine Academy on Facebook, which is mostly just the stuff I put on Instagram. So be sure to go to Van S. Canine on Instagram. I've been... Um, I had a couple of people reach out in October. Go, man! Listen, the the some of the stuff you're posting is pretty cool, man. I get it. You took a break, but you got to get back to canine because uh, my stuff apparently was weak in October. So uh, I'm back to posting police work dog stuff. Um, and every time I talk about getting tattoos, people message me. Let me see them. No, I am yeah. not taking my shirt off in this podcast. Yeah. Is showing you anything ever. So, um, anyways, Josh, man, I we got to tell you, you know, Ted and I can message each other on this uh, on this Zoom call, and we both agree that this is a top episode. Like, it's amazing. You you've probably told that story a million times, but um, it's the first time I've heard it from you, and I loved it. And I really, really love the fact that you took some time to share that with us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's uh. Yeah, I, I share it every every time somebody asks for it. Um, I, I never really have a problem sharing my story. It, it's always a difficult one to to rehash some of the memories. Um, you know, the, all of the emotions that go with it um, can never get around those. But you know, that's um, it's me. It's who I am. It's it's a piece of me that I can offer to others so that they can kind of understand some of the struggles that, that people go through, um, you know, they're all different. We all go through different shit, but that doesn't, um, that doesn't mean that anyone's struggles are less than mine because they're, uh, it's just life. It's just stuff we got to work through and get past and, uh, finding happiness. That's, uh, that's the goal. And, you know, like you were talking about earlier, uh, without my wife, I, I doubt that I ever would have been able to find happiness again. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, man. She, uh, tell her again, thanks for letting us steal you for a little while. Yeah. Um, oh, well. we really appreciate it. Well, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in and we will see you on the next one. Yeah. Thanks guys. 
got your reasons, and I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother D-E-G-E blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.